Yo, this is Brandon Morris, your host of You Can Be Mo Podcast. Shout out to the head coaches that joined the podcast tonight. And that is head coach Luke Regal from UW Parkside. Head coach Gary Gresh from St. Norbert College. Head coach, my ex-head coach uh, from UW Green Bay, who is now the head coach at the University of Toledo. Uh, these guys all gave great tips for coaches, for players, for parents. It was a phenomenal show. Um, please check us out. This is the best damn podcast in the land. I'm your host, Brandon Morris. Welcome to another episode of You Can Be Mo. Tonight, this episode will be our college men's basketball head coach series. And we have uh, three of the best head coaches in the country. Introducing uh, our first starter for tonight. Actually, we won't do the starters first. We're going to introduce them last. I apologize. So our bench players who are always around uh, bringing up the tail end of the game, they get very little minutes. However, they are a part of the team. Uh, assistant coach for the girls varsity basketball, Johnny Atkins over at Wistosha Central. John, welcome. Assistant coach, Bradford High School, said Young. Head coach, Jason Atanasoff at Racine Prairie. Assistant coach at St. Norbert. Make sure you guys pronounce St. Norbert. Don't add the S to it. Uh, St. Norbert, Corey Shashelshik. If anybody can say that three times fast and get it right, I will make sure that he gives you $100. Uh, and then lastly, our head coach uh, at Kenosha Bradford, Greg Leach. Man, I need the Bulls music. Anyways, for tonight's starters, my man holding down Kenosha, Wisconsin, for a long period of time, Luke Regal. Welcome, Coach Regal. Johnny, give us some give us some accolades. So, Coach Regal played at Wilmot High School, was a starting guard on the undefeated 
the G-Man from the greatest college school in the country, UW-Green Bay. Shout out to this starter, Gary Gresh. He is the head coach at St. Norbert. Get it right. Johnny, hit us with it. Coach, coach Gresh played at UWGB, was the, defense, was the team's defensive player of the year four times, was on teams that made NCAA tournament appearances three times, has served as the St. Norbert head coach for 14 years, and he was at three seasons at Lakeland as the head coach before that. He is the 2014 Jack Bennett Man of the Year Award winner. And while at St. Norbert, they've had numerous top 10 and top 25 finishes. They had a stretch of nine Midwest Conference championships in 11 seasons, has been the Midwest Conference Coach of the Year seven of the last eight seasons in eight times overall. They've made seven NCAA tournament appearances and at one time had a 72-game conference unbeaten streak, which is an NCAA Division III record, and in all of NCAA is second to only John Wooden's UCLA team for a streak of that sort. At Lakeland, he won, or his teams won the Lake Michigan Conference Championship in 2006, won the Lake Michigan Conference Tournament Championship in 2004, and served as an assistant coach at UWGB for a year, and before that was an assistant at Youngstown State for six seasons. Wow. Like I said, we will never get to the show at this rate. Uh, he was assistant at Youngstown State? Correct. Okay. Because his wife, the Hall of Famer, was on last week. She represented. Hey, Hall of Famer, sometimes she beats you to the show. Sorry, Coach. Anyways, welcome, Coach Gresh. And last but not least, my college coach who gave me a second chance. Uh, I did turn him down the first time. I turned him down the second time to show you what type of person and a man he is. He was still knocking at the door the third time and gave me the opportunity to play at the next level. I'm uh, very humbly grateful for it. My man, representing the East Coast time zone, he's staying up late for us tonight. Head coach, University of Toledo, Todd Kowalczyk. What we got for him, John? Coach K played at University of Minnesota Duluth in the 80s. He's been a Division I head coach for 18 years, eight seasons at UW-Green Bay, 10 at Toledo. Has had six 21 seasons in his career, six postseason appearance, post appearances, four in the CBI, two in the NIT. Has over 300 career wins and was recently named the chair of the NCAA's Division I Men's Basketball Ethics Coalition. At Toledo, nine of his 10, winning, or nine of his 10 seasons have been winning seasons. They've had four MAC West Division titles has finished third or higher eight out of those 10 seasons. Uh, a couple highlight seasons in 2013-14, they had a school record 27 wins and the MAC regular season title. Uh, between 2017 and 19, they had back-to-back -back outright MAC West Division titles. Uh, before that at UW-Green Bay, he was there for eight seasons. They finished top three in the conference five times and had a stretch of top four finishes in seven consecutive seasons. 2003 and 2004, the team had an NCAA top 10 single season turnaround at the time. They went from 10 and 20 to 17 and 11, 4 and 12 in the conference to 11 and 5. 2009 2010, they had the program's first postseason victory since 1994 when they beat Akron in the CBI tournament. And also on his bio, it's listed that he is the most patient coach for having Brandon Morris as a player in his tenure. 
Trust me, I was easy, man. I was easy. Uh, again, welcome, Coach K. Uh, welcome to our starters. We appreciate you guys being on tonight. Let's get this. Let's get this show rocking and rolling. Um, first up, let's let's get a question out there for one of the coaches, uh, Coach Atanasoff. Who do you have a question for? Uh, I have one for Coach K. Uh, first, uh, a quick John Atkins trivia question. Where was Coach K an assistant at what current Big Ten school, 1997 through 2000? Stop looking at your computer. What are you asking? You asking me or are you attributing it? I'm asking the group, sorry. Okay, right. He's asking the bench, the bench player. I got that one. That's Michigan State. Incorrect. No? Ah. Rutgers. That is correct. <laughs> Who said that? Our Oh, okay. G Man got it. All right. And it, it, Rutgers was in the it was not, not in the big, big Ten at that point. It was obviously in the Big East, but okay. right. I made sure to say current Big Ten. Not, 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 not a very fun time in my career. Trust me. <laughs> we weren't very good. All right. So, Coach K, um, I know you were at Green Bay and Marquette for a while, and now you've been at Toledo. Um, looking at the high school game in the states of Wisconsin and Ohio. What are some things you might see um, that potentially Wisconsin high school coaches or just uh, the way things are ran, some things, some differences, some things you might like better about the way it was done in Wisconsin or vice versa um, in, in terms of preparing kids for the next level and uh, coaching clinics and that sort of thing? I, I really believe that both of those uh, states are very similar. Uh, you know, Ohio, Ohio has, I think, 13 Division I schools. You know, Wisconsin only has four. But the high school coaching in both states are, is fantastic. Uh, I was really, really impressed with the high school coaches uh, in the state of Wisconsin during my eight years there uh, of developing talent. Uh, you, know, and, you know, guys that kind of ran the recruiting process a little bit more than maybe AAU coaches did. Uh, you know, and Ohio is very similar, you know, very, very good high school coaches. I think the, the city of Toledo is fantastic. Uh, you know, we just had a unbelievable Hall of Famer retire Ed Heinzel at St. John's here in Toledo that, you know, Nigel Hayes, as you guys you know, know from Wisconsin, played at St. John's, and my son's going to be going to St. John's. Uh, he just retired. I, I don't know the exact number of wins, but it's over 800. He was there for 40 years. Uh, but, you know, there, there's some really good high school coaches in the state. Uh, I've enjoyed working in both states. Uh, you know, Ohio probably has, produces more Division One talent, but this is simply because of the size of the state population-wise. But they're, they're very, very similar. Very similar. Great coaches and really good high school basketball. Excellent. Excellent, excellent, excellent. Um, <clears throat> Greg Leach, who you got a question for? I've got a question for Gary. And trust me, there is a question in here. But um, Gary graduated from Wauwatosa East, played four sports, soccer, basketball, football, baseball. In their Hall of Fame, you won a state championship in soccer, team MVP, first team all-conference, two years, all-state honors, and then Gatorade player of the state of Wisconsin. Obviously, you made the right career choice, but um, why didn't you pursue soccer? 
Yeah, that's that's a great question. And it was a difficult decision. Soccer actually came a little bit more naturally to me. Basketball was much more challenging. I was never a gifted or natural shooter. So the process of just working at basketball, the overall competitiveness of basketball compared to soccer nationally at the time, just naturally drew me towards basketball. At the time, soccer scholarships were also divided up, and I think they still are to a certain extent. So the fact that I could go for a basketball scholarship and get my complete education paid for, room, tuition, books, everything, for five years was a huge draw, where soccer, it might have been divided up. I might have been able to get a full scholarship. But there was an early signing period in basketball, and Green Bay had two scholarships, and they offered me one early. And soccer was just kind of finishing up. We had just won the state tournament, and some of those awards that you mentioned just came out. And so the soccer recruiting was a little bit later than the basketball. And Coach Bennett at the time at Green Bay had said, we may have a scholarship for you late if you decide to hold off, but we may not. And ultimately, I didn't want to risk it or go through my whole senior year not knowing if I would have that in the spring. So I ended up deciding to play basketball and signed in the early signing period of my senior year. Excellent. Excellent. Corey, let's get a question for Coach Regal. Coach Regal, so having played for Hall of Fame coaches in high school and college, how have you used their teaching and values to shape your coaching career? And also, how special has it been being next to your dad all these years at Parkside? Oh, I've been, you know, I've really been fortunate throughout my entire playing career in all sports. I played high school baseball for a few years as well, and and that coach was in the Baseball Hall of Fame in Wisconsin, and then obviously playing for my dad for four years at Wilmot um, and having a chance to learn under him is really the reason I got into coaching and, um, you know, wanted to be on the coaching side of things. Plus, I knew I wasn't uh, as good as Gary, so I had to make sure that uh, <laughs> that uh, coaching was definitely in my future early on. Um, and then obviously I transferred to Platteville really for the specific reason because I wanted to learn under Coach Ryan and knew that I really wanted to get into coaching at the college level. So, um, you know, I, I have all the utmost respect for anybody that coaches in high school because, you know, my dad coached two undefeated state teams in Wisconsin, and yet he also had four or five years where he won less than five games. And it's just the hand you're dealt in high school. And uh, at least at the college level, you get to control that a little bit if you, if you can recruit. So um, it, there's so many lessons to learn, I think, the thing that I learned from both of those, you know, both my father and uh, Coach Ryan is just the attention to detail. Um, you know, obviously at the high school level, you only get a certain amount of time to work with your players, especially back then. And so uh, the practices had to be extra detailed and so on and so forth. And then what I learned from Coach Ryan at the college level is he was unbelievably detailed in everything. I mean, he knew how many Snickers bar were set, set, uh, sold at camp and uh, – <laughs> Anything that went on during the, that time there was, it was actually great to learn from. So, and then obviously Greg Gard was there at the same time. So, uh, and he's unbelievable as far as attention to detail. So, I've been very lucky, you know, in throughout my whole career as a player and a coach to be around unbelievable uh, coaches. 
Excellent. Excellent. Thank you for that, Coach. All right, let's get into let's get into the first segment of things. Uh, I'm gonna let uh, Coach Shashelshik, uh host these questions, um, and I do want to throw out there: this past Sunday, we noticed that we have to have uh, a rule in place, and uh, that rule will now be called the Amon Green Rule, where your answers have to be 90 seconds or less. Uh, we noticed that Amon Green was talking for probably anywhere around three to four minutes to every question. Um, so we got the Amon Green rule in, and uh, that's going to be 90 seconds or less. It's plenty of time for guys like you. Also, for our listeners, I just want to point out that we have head coaches on here, so that's why we put that rule in, too. Just to throw that out there. All right, Corey, what's the first question? And we're going to go around. We're going to go with uh, 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 Coach Gresh, uh, Luke, and then Coach K. And then we'll go backwards on that second question. Coach K, you'll answer. Then Luke, then Gary. Here we go. All right, so first question is, uh, what has your experience with player recruitment been like throughout your careers as a head coach? Well, uh, for as a head coach, I, I've been at the Division three level, so I would say that process is much longer. Um, you start identifying kids the spring of their junior year, watch them throughout their senior year, um, and then a lot of those kids do not end up deciding until after they get the financial aid package from the schools that they're looking at. So uh, the biggest difference, I would say, obviously the cost between Division three to two and one, but also the length of the recruiting process. And then in division three, there's so many more kids that can play at that level. So to really work through all those layers and find the right fit academically, socially, size of the campus, distance from home, and then the major, it's really a long process, but you also get to know those families so well, by the end of the recruiting process, they decide you've really developed a great relationship with those kids and their families, but it's, it's a much longer process than you would, you would envision. Thanks coach. Coach Regal. You know, it, it, division two is just kind of a unique animal. Um, you know, I haven't been at the division three level. I think it's amazing how long that process goes uh, for those guys. We talk about it all the time, but division two is similar in that uh, we kind of have two waves. Like when we go out in the summer and we're watching players, which we wish we could do this year, um, you know, we have players on our list, but we really wait for the coach Kowalczyk's and the guys in the horizon league to just pick off all the guys we really like, offer those players scholarship. And I know that most times now they're gonna take a division one scholarship. Um, and so then our list gets much smaller very quickly. Um, and so, you know, we'll be in September and trying to get maybe a couple guys to sign early. We were fortunate enough to do that this past year. Uh, but then it's all about trying to find some sleepers that either maybe didn't play you or, um, you know, were hurt or, or different things that could happen. I know some of our best players that we've ever had at Parkside were guys that we didn't even start recruiting until December or January uh, because they were late bloomers. So uh, it, it's so different. I mean, uh, Speaking honestly, I mean, the recruiting process is a love-hate deal for me. Like, I love getting to know the families. I love to know, get to know the players. Um, 
I really enjoyed it, just the evaluation part of watching games, whether it's AAU or high school. Uh, but all of the stuff that goes with it, uh, you know, particularly the the people that don't understand how good you have to be to play at a St. Norbert or a, you know one of the UW Division threes or at Parkside, um, and they tell you, well, my son's, you know, just he's better than your level, and I want him to come watch a Division two game and understand that, you know. All of our all-conference guards could have played in, in the Horizon League and maybe even in the MAC by the time they were juniors or seniors, not when they were coming out of high school. So um, there's good and bad parts of it, but definitely getting to know the players and families is the best part of the recruiting process. Thanks, Coach Regal. Coach Kowalczyk. I, I, I have a lot of respect for Division Three and Division you know, two basketball. Uh, it is a pecking order, obviously, and, and uh, you know, we wait for Big Tens, you know, oftentimes, but, uh, you know, I, I think the recruiting process is more about identifying, you know, guys that you think can really help your system and your program, you know, regardless of levels. Uh, and, and I think the biggest thing that I can tell you uh, in, in my career, the, 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 the recruits that really want to come are your best players. Uh, if I have to just, you know, kiss somebody's ass for a year, uh, keep coming back to them, you know, it, those, those guys are never, ever as good uh, of players as, 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 as you want them to be or they want to be. Uh, so if I can give any advice to, to parents, and I, you know, maybe, you know and, and I heard, you know, I heard, uh, you know, Bob Hurley Sr. say this one time, he always told his, his players to, to go one level below their highest recruitment. Uh, makes sense to me. If you want to play, uh, you know, and, and I tell our recruits, go where you can play right away and go where you can win. Those are the only times you're happy. If you're not playing, you're not happy. You're not winning, you're not happy. Bimo, I'm the only one of the three that came under 90 seconds. <laughs> nice. Gary's at 140 and Luke is at two minutes. So I, 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 Well, we use that 90 seconds as a guideline. I'm just happy I get to speak as much as an assistant. This is great. So I'm enjoying it. <laughs> um, next question, and we'll come back, Coach Balchik, we'll come right back to you. What's the best advice to give to parents for their child to be considered a college scholarship player? Ooh. Well, make, make sure, number one, that they uh, are, have good character, uh, are good students, you know, and, and for us, then, you know, that means being academically qualified uh, to receive a scholarship at Division One level or Division Two level. Uh, you know, and, and, and those parents, they can control that. They can meet with the guidance people. They can meet with, uh, you know, the, the high school teachers, and they can obviously discipline their you know, their children to make sure that they're studying and doing the right things. Oftentimes, if they, they don't make it, it's because they didn't have the guidance and support, not because they weren't intelligent enough. They just didn't have the discipline. Uh, you know, and I think, and again, going back to what I said earlier, make sure that they go someplace that they can play right away and not go in and, and sit for two years because nobody is happy doing that. And then at, at our level, if they're not playing as freshmen and sophomore, they have no chance of playing anymore. They go over recruit. Thanks, Coach. Coach Regal. I, I think the number one thing that I see with 
you know, everything, how basketball has changed is parents have to make sure that their sons or daughters want it more than they do. Um, I see so much that they're pushing them into private workouts or travel teams or whatever. And if, if the kid isn't getting up on his own and going to shoot or asking to go to the gym or going to lift or whatever, depending on their age, I don't know if they understand how much work it takes to play at the college level at, at any level. So I think that's the first part of it is how bad does your kid want to do it more than how bad do you want it? Um, and then the second thing is, I think it's important, like I touched on a little bit before, of just go watch college basketball. You know, go watch a great high-level D3 game. Go watch a high D2 game. Go to the mid-majors and watch it on ESPN2 or whatever it's on and um, try to get a feel for the different levels because just because someone's in your ear telling you you can play at a certain level doesn't mean you can. So I think understanding the levels, and that goes back to what Coach K said, is then you have a feel of, okay, can I go to D2 and play right away? Can I go to D3 and play right away? It, it's just not easy to do at any level. Thanks, Coach Regal. Appreciate it. Coach Gresh. Well, I know when we get out and watch, you, you still have to have a certain level of athleticism. You can take the most skilled kid out there, and they still have to be a college-level athlete, even at the Division three level. So once you think that they're a good enough athlete, you really get into some of the things, especially off that you kind of recruit the offense and try to teach them the defense. And if I saw myself in high school, I don't know if I would go out and recruit myself, but <laughs> I think you look at their offensive skill. Can they pack? Can they handle the ball? Can they pass the ball? Can they shoot the ball? And then you start to get into some of the intangible things. What type of teammate are they when they come off the floor? How do they react to coaching or getting pulled? If you see them play a bad game, how do they react and respond to that? So all the intangible things kind of feed into it too. And I think that's been kind of, kind of some of our, our keys to success. We've had some pretty talented kids, um, pretty, pretty good athletes, pretty skilled kids, but kids of uh, the right, right type of character that really fit in well. But I think it starts with a certain level of athleticism, and then you get into the, the offensive skill things, and then some of the intangible things, and then mental toughness. And then also what Todd and, and Luke said, just, just having a passion for the game, even at the Division three level, you, you really have to have a passion for it. Thanks, Coach G. Um, the last question here for the first segment, and then I know there's a couple other questions coming from the, from the bench. Um, so we'll start with this one, Coach Regal. This is going to come at you, and then I'll go Coach Gresh, Coach Kowalczyk. Um, how important is summer basketball in NCAA certified tournaments? Well, you know, it, what I really enjoyed last year was being able to see, um, and we've always been able to see that the D2, but it was definitely a higher level of competition last summer with the certified events that teams played with their high school, or players played with their high school teams. Um, we've always been able to go to those, but when you have Division One coaches sitting in the stands, it definitely ratches up the intensity. But, um, you know, from the AAU side of things, the value there is you get to see players play against high-level competition. And I think that's the, the thing that I like the best is, you know, when you're going to events, um, you're seeing the Division two guys that you hope you can recruit, they're playing against all college basketball players or future college basketball players, whether it's Division one, Division two, II, Division three, um, And you can learn a lot from that. So there's definitely value in the summer 
uh, watching those events. But also, like I said, I think you get a closer view of players too when you're going to the high school summer leagues that D2 and D3 can go to and um, watching guys when they're the man. You know, a lot of times the players that we're recruiting on their AAU teams are the fourth or fifth option where when they're playing with their high school team, you know, they're number one, hopefully. So uh, there, there's a ton of value in, in watching summer basketball uh, for us, that's for sure. Thanks, Coach Regal. Coach Gresh. So you're talking about the certified high school events last year, which was the new rule. And I, I don't think in Wisconsin, we really took advantage of it. Um, you know, for Division Three, we don't have a recruiting calendar out, out there anyway. So we're year round. We're seeing a lot of those same kids, the same events. I know Illinois did a really good job having a number of those events certified. And we went down there, we're able to see them with their high school teams, which we would do normally. Um, so for Division Three guys, I, I don't know if it changed that much. Um, I do think you get a little bit better feel of their role and their definition role um, within their high school team rather than their AU team. Thanks, Coach G. Coach K. Well, I, I, you know, I, I love high school coaches. Uh, and those are the people that I go to to, you know, ask questions about the intangibles, what kind of parents they are, what kind of is it kind of student, how hard they work, et cetera. Let's, let's be honest, summer basketball is huge. And any high school coach that doesn't, you know, push his players to go play in a good AAU program or get them into NCAA camps or really be active in their state associations to get the, uh, you know, a, a really good event going for their high schools, uh, for the state associations, is missing the boat. Uh, we make we make just about all of our decisions outside of the high school season. Uh, doesn't mean that we don't value the high school coaching recruiting process. We do, uh, but the simple you know fact of the matter is we can go to an AAU event in July uh, and see a, a bunch of kids in one setting, one city, uh, versus during the high school season for us to drive to Kenosha to watch you know. Uh, somebody that plays, it, it, it's, it's a eight hour car ride, you know, there and back, uh, you know, maybe more. Uh, so I, I think you have to be, you know, look at the, you know, AU basketball is important. It is. And then there's some great AU coaches, uh, but, you know, you, high school coaches really need to incorporate summer basketball and give some, some credit to the AU programs and the high school associations to make sure their kids get seen by the college coaches. Thanks, Coach K. Really appreciate that. Excellent job. Excellent job. Great answers. Uh, by the way, you can always fly into Milwaukee and then drive down to Kenosha. Just throwing that out there, Coach. We would love to see you at St. Joe's. I'm 45 minutes away from the Detroit airport. And, uh, you know, it's, it's almost quicker to drive it, to be honest with you. <laughs> cool. Um, so this brings us to uh, one of my favorite parts of, of the podcast, and that is recognizing our sponsor. So tonight's sponsor is brought to you by nobody. Uh, we still haven't gotten a sponsor for our podcast, so uh, we're still searching. Don't even worry about it. We'll be good. Um, so 
fellas, do you guys have any uh, follow-up questions? Uh, and while you're thinking of the follow-up question, John, can we get another trivia uh, question going? All right. This one pertains to Coach Grush. Might be a layup for some of you guys. Corey, you're not allowed to answer it. Nope. In 1994, UW-Green Bay scored a nice first-round upset win in the NCAA tournament. Gary Gresh held which future NBA lottery pick you can get to just 12 points on 4-17 shooting and 6 turnovers? So this, this is for the bench players only. Bench players only. And bench players, we've talked about this before. Which, which NBA lottery pick did Coach Grash hold the 12 points in the NCAA tournament? 1994. I'm not telling you this school he played for. That would give Cal, us Jason Kidd. Yeah, easy. Thank you, Coach. Thank you. <laughs> Brandon, what do I get for that? Uh, we will send you over a six-pack of Coca-Cola. <laughs> <laughs> now, Brandon, I know I don't, I'm not one of the questions, whatever. I did have a question really quick, though, if I can mention this, all right? Go ahead. All right, cool. So, in talking about Coach Regal, I forgot to mention one thing, uh, kind of like a highlight season. Uh, and this is close to home, not only being in Kenosha, but my brother was serving as a volunteer assistant on the staff during some really successful seasons. Uh, Coach Regal, 2012-13, you guys beat seven ranked teams on the way to the program's first ever GLBC East title. Can you tell us a little bit about that season and how special it was? And I mean, obviously I was there at most home games, times out afterwards, it was great times. So you can talk a little bit more about that season. I mean, it was, you know, it's always a work in progress. We were, you know, we were just building and building, and we had some bumps in the road the couple of years before that were frustrating with just some injuries that happened to, to everybody along the way. And we knew we had a very good team even the year before. And um, then everything kind of clicked. We had an older group that had uh, learned our system very well. We, you know, played a bunch of juniors and seniors, but also added a, a great freshman and Andy Mazurchek that year. And, um, you know, it was one of those things that just all clicked. And uh, we had battled so many of those teams. It, I mean, every year when we were in the GLBC, the GLBCs had four or five teams in the top 25. So we were going to get our share of shots at those teams. But, uh, you know, we developed a very good home court advantage over the years. And they didn't like coming up to Kenosha in the middle of January and February. And uh, we, we just had a, a very unselfish, very tough team that year. And, uh, I know we won a lot of close games because uh, we had very good guard play and a couple big men that could protect the rim. So it was a it kind of was a springboard for the next you know four or five years after that. And they didn't like hearing "Ring of Fire" after each of those home wins either. And no, they didn't. All right, thank you for that, John. Uh, fellas, follow up questions that you guys had for the coaches. I was going to say, my one question would be, uh, Coach Crash and Coach Kolchik, you guys had a year of overlap starting at GB. Um, what were some of the pillars, Coach K and Coach Crash, that you guys built on to try to start establishing kind of a new writing of the ship, so to speak, at a, at a Division One program? Either or could jump in right away. But what was kind of your – what was what are the things that are like, all right, we have to do this right from the get-go to get this right? I think the first thing is obviously, you know, 
as, as, as a head coach of hiring the right staff. And, you know, Gary was a great assistant. I had Pat Baldwin on my first staff, and, and Dale Rage was, you know, my college coach and my mentor. Um, you know, and, I, and the one thing that I, I you know, we, in, we inherited a, a situation that became great that needed, needed some rebuilding, but not with character, not with toughness. Uh, you know, we just get it. We just needed more talent, and that's where Demo came in, and Javier came in, and Benito Flores came in. Uh, you know, we just didn't have enough Division One athletes or, or talent. Uh, you know, but you know, unlike when I got to Toledo, we had the other end of the issues. We had really bad uh, issues as far as off the court things, academics. You know, we didn't have. I'm very thankful we didn't have any of those things at Green Bay. No, that's little we did. Thanks, Coach. Coach Gresh, and I know you've been a part of a lot of a couple of rebuilding projects. So, what are some of the things you've kind of looked for when you started? Well, that, I was very thankful to come back to my alma mater for that year, and um, it was a little bit of a, a rebuild. Um, there was a new athletic director, Ken Bedoff. Uh, the Rush Center was brand new. So just to kind of step back as an assistant and watch Todd in that first year really kind of lay the foundation for future success was uh, a great lesson for me as a young assistant coach. And that's something I've tried to do everywhere I've been, um, just try to pick bits and pieces from each coach. And eventually when you get that opportunity, mold it into your own philosophy. And it, it was such a great time there. And although, although the record wasn't great, you can see the foundation being laid. And he had such success um, at, at Marquette with Tom Crean and Dwayne Wade. Um, it was only a matter of time, as Todd said, as soon as he started bringing some more talented kids in. Um, but I saw the foundation of it that first year, and then you saw the record and the success after that. Corey, can I jump on uh, what Corey was talking about a little bit? Yep. You know, we've spent time on the podcast talking about the it factor for players that we may coach or come across in terms of um, college players. I think the it factor applies to uh, coaches as well. Um, you know, whether that's leadership, your ability to communicate, your ability to teach, your core values. All of you have had, all of you have built successful programs and maintained it. And we're all byproducts of coaches that we either played for or um, coached with. And so my question maybe to all three of you, if we got enough time, is who were some of those coaches that were instrumental in your, your formulating your building blocks to success? And you know, who'd you learn it from? And, and what was a key piece of information you took away? Who's first? How about Coach Regal? Well, mine's easy. Uh, I mentioned it a little bit before, but, uh, you know, it started with my dad. I mean, I remember going to the gym and watching him, uh, you know, work with his teams when I was in fourth, fifth, sixth grade. And the the intensity of practices were the thing that I always remembered. It was, he never talked about the opponents or who was coming up. It was just, he, he was just focused on his team and getting better every single day. Um, and that was an easy lesson to learn. Um, and then, like I said, you know, going down to Platteville and, and being around 
Coach Ryan and Coach Guard, really, uh, I learned a lot about college basketball, um, you know, the, the defense, offense, those type of things, but really how you go about building a, a program was what I learned when I was down there. So uh, it, was, it was pretty, I'm very fortunate, like I mentioned earlier, to be around guys like that. And uh, hopefully I've taken their lessons and, and been able to be successful with it. Coach K? Well, I, I'm much like Luke. I, 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 my dad was a high school coach. And, uh, but high school basketball at that time was, was completely different. Uh, and I wanted to play at Minnesota Duluth for, for Dale Rage. But again, the, the times were different as far as how the game was played. Uh, you know, my basketball background really started with a, with a guy named Keith Dixon. Uh, still unbelievably successful. Uh, at St. Anthony's College, had 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 some time at, at Ryder uh, and and also Rutgers, and that was those were not great experiences for me. Uh, but I think I learned a lot about what not to do, uh, you know, and that was helpful. And then going with, with Tom Crean was really really helpful for me. Uh, Tom was unbelievably organized, a great motivator. Um, you know, I thought I was prepared to be a head coach before I worked for him. I was not, uh, you know, and what I really appreciate about him is how hard he worked for, for me, uh, to get me the Green Bay job. He, he recruited Ken Buttoff extremely hard and I'll never, ever forget that. And I, I try to do that for my assistant coaches. Coach Gary. Well, mine starts at a young age, too, at the high school level. George Haas, and this is before um, AAU really took off. George Haas ran a summer basketball program at Wauwatosa East at Hart Park on the playgrounds. Mm. I mean, kids kids don't understand how good they have it these days, but we grew up on the, on the playgrounds. And so they would have the rec camps throughout the day, and then they would have the adult leagues at night. So that was really my first coach that I really connected with and said, I, I might want to get into coaching because of George Haas. And then I had Jim Rebels at the varsity level at Tulsa East, Coach Dick Bennett, and all the assistants there at Green Bay, Mike Heideman, Woody Wilson, um, Ben Johnson, Steve Swan. Uh, just a great experience there and was fortunate um, and picked up some new thing. When I went to Youngstown State, like Todd said, there's so many um, colleges at in Ohio, Division One schools, that's very competitive. And at the time, Youngstown was kind of building, but in the Mid-Continent Conference. They weren't in the MAC, they weren't in the Horizon League, they were in the Mid-Con. So a little bit of a tougher job. So I learned a lot from Dan Peters for three years there. Uh, the second coach that I worked for there, John Robick, learned a lot from him, and then was fortunate to come back to Wisconsin and learn uh, for the one year back at Green Bay under Todd. So. Um, I, I can't point to any one single coach, but uh, at the beginning, George Haas and, and Hart Park is where I kind of kind of grew up around basketball. And then as a player, obviously the team success that we had with, with Dick Bennett at Green Bay was a huge influence. Thank you, guys. Awesome. I have a question for uh, Coach, Coach Luke. Um, this is a question from another coach that actually coached you. Um, How did you teach rebounding, especially offensive? He said that you're one of the best offensive rebounders 
in high school and in college. Are you teaching that? Honestly, uh, after doing this for a long time, I'm almost to a point where I don't know if you can teach rebounding. I mean, I haven't been a great rebounding team at Parkside, so maybe I can't teach it at all. But um, what, honestly, what makes you a great offensive rebounder is going every single time. You know, I wasn't the most athletic guy in high school, so pick up some garbage points. I just, you go to the go to the rim every time. And, you know, I mean, when you watch those highlights of Dennis Rodman, I mean, that's all he did. And, and people, they think it's easy, but it's not. I, I think if you're going to be a great offensive rebounder, it's a mindset. You're, you're going to the rim every single time. And that's one thing I love about having my dad on the, the bench at Parkside is that's, he harps on that all the time with our players about get to the basket, get, you know, don't assume a make. So uh, it's, it's easy points. I don't know why more people don't do it quite honestly. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, just to give a shout out, we got some uh, ex UWGB players checking in. So shout out to Josh Lawrence for checking in Ryan Tilma and even my man, Checking in from Santo Domingo, Dominican Republic, Benito Flores also checking in. So shout out to all the UWGB players that, that are checking in on our on our Facebook Live. Good guys, Bimo. Yeah. Good guys. Yeah. Great players. Yeah, yeah. I'm actually because of them and because of you. Excellent. Hey, can you say that again for the coaches on the bench? <laughs> Anybody else? Any other coaches from the bench have some last questions in this first segment before we get on to the second segment? Hit us with one more trivia question before we close out, John. All right. So this is uh, this is kind of a toss-up, and I kind of had to adjust it because it was already thrown out there that uh, Coach Walsh was at Marquette. Uh, this is kind of an impromptu question. The year after Coach Qualchett left Marquette, what did Marquette do? Ooh. You stumped the bench on this one. Good question, John. No, no, I know. I, I didn't give the time Coach Qualchett was there, but. Don't, you don't have to. No? Let's, make, let's make them work. Coach Gresham got the answer on that one. He, he knows that one. That's a layup for me, so I can let you guys try to figure it out. Right. Greg is looking it up on his iPad right now. I, I know this one, too, so we might let, let Sutter GL answer this one. Anything? Say it. Nope. Greg, anything? Nope. Oh, man. G-Man, what you got? Uh, Dwayne Wade and Marquette with Tom Green went to the Final Four in New Orleans that year. Wow, that's and huge. Who did, who did they end up falling to? I do know this one. Yep. Said, Corey, uh, Corey don't know. Corey is the second guru on the, on the podcast. That, that one I don't know. It, it might have been. Was it? That wasn't the year where we had the multiple Big Ten teams there. I, I keep on I keep on crossing up Wisconsin and Marquette, which is a bad thing to do, obviously. Coach Regal, you know. I know they got drilled, but it, was it North Carolina? No. Nope. It was, it was a blue blood, though. 
Wow, none of you guys know. Was Nick Collison, Kirk Heinrich, and Kansas. Kansas. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and they eventually lost to Syracuse. And, and, and who won a championship that year? Syracuse, Carmelo Anthony. And what player? What's up? What player? Oh, Carmelo Anthony. Jerry McNamara hitting threes. It was big Gene time. Work might have been on that team. Hey, you didn't you didn't you didn't name my uh my ex uh my my ex teammate uh Jeff Graves that played on that Kansas team too. Juco Davis. Good job. What's that said? Really need to get a job. <laughs> <laughs> he's a guru, man. He's a trivia guru. All right, fellas. Uh let's close out this first segment and let's jump into our second segment. That was excellent hearing from these head coaches at the division one, division two, and division three level. We got head coach Gary Gresh at St. Norbert, um, head coach Luke Regal representing Kenosha at UW Parkside, and head coach Todd Kowalczyk at the University of Toledo. We're going to jump into our segment segment. We'll catch you real soon. Peace. This is the Best Damn Podcast in the land. I'm your host, Brandon Morris. Welcome back to the second segment of tonight's episode, College Men's Basketball Head Coaches. We got Coach Kowalczyk on the line, University of Toledo, Coach Luke Regal, University of Wisconsin Parkside, and the Coach Gresh from St. Norbert College. Second segment, let's get it rolling. Coach Shashelshik, what do you got for us? Regal, first question. This is going to go to Coach Gresh, then we'll go Coach Regal, and then Coach Kowalczyk. Um, I know this one. Obviously, every game is large when we play them and coaching them. But, you know, there's always that extra game, right? So how do you prepare yourself, your staff, and players for those biggest games of the season? You know, rivalry games, conference tournament, NCAA tournament. Well, I think uh, you get to that point of the year, uh, those kids are pretty self-motivated. So I've discovered there's no secret speech no rah-rah speech that really gets them up to play. I think each kid has to take it upon themselves to get themselves ready. And then the really special ones not only get themselves ready each and every night, but also get a couple other teammates ready to play. So you get to big games that part of the season, I think it's pretty easy to get yourself up and motivated to play. I think the beauty of our system on the defensive end, not a whole lot changes from game to game. So um, the, the system, tells you how to guard certain things on the defensive end. Offense, you kind of react to what the defense is doing to you. But I think uh, the beauty in the system is that it, it kind of stays same game to game. Great. Thanks, Coach. Coach Regal. You know, I, I think, you know, Gary just hit it, the nail right on the head. I mean, you're preparing, obviously, every game the same. Um, the one thing that I learned early on at Parkside was – you know, we play, all our league games are Thursday night, Saturday afternoon. So you don't have time to really get too excited for a big game. Like, you know, you might play your rival on Thursday, but whether you win or lose, you better be ready Friday afternoon to get ready for Saturday. So um, it really, you know, focuses you as a coach and as a staff that, um, you know, there really aren't big games when you have to turn around that fast. And I, I know that's helped us in the conference tournament where, you know, whether we're playing back-to-back nights or um, if there's a day off in between, it, it's just you just get ready for the next game. And uh, like Gary said, I mean, 
if guys are competitors, you don't have to tell them about what's a big game and what's not. They're, they're ready to roll uh, when you're playing a, a big conference game or a big, even a big non-conference game. Thanks, Coach Regal. Coach Kowalczyk. Uh, I, I certainly agree with, you know, what, what Gary and Luke just said. I, you know, but I'm a firm believer that rivalry games, they are different. And, and uh, do we talk about it more in the offseason? Absolutely. Do our players think about it more in the offseason? There's no question. And the biggest thing, it means more to your fans. It means more to your media. So to say it's just another game, that's, that's, that's coach BS. It's, it's, it's not just another game. It's a rivalry game. Uh, same thing with the conference tournament. It means more because if you lose, you're done. Uh, you know, and, and if that puts too much pressure on a player, well, then you know what? Then they're probably not tough enough mentally to handle being a division one <laughs> player or a division, really good division two or really good division three program. So uh, I know BMO played better in bigger games. You know, he played against Milwaukee. It meant more than playing against Youngstown State. Right, BMO? Let's be honest. Yeah, that's true. So Chris Hill, if you listen, when you listen to this, just know <laughs> when we played against UWM, it was on. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Coach. Um, next question. Um, so even at the Division Three level, we we have some students that we would say are walk-ons. Um, but uh, speak to that life of a walk-on and what it's like for them in a practice, game days, as well as to those that earn a scholarship. And Coach Kowalczyk will start with you, Coach Regal, Coach Gresh from there. Well, I think this this answer will will you know Luke will be happy with it, uh, and then Gary will be happy with Luke's answer. But being if you really want to play, don't be a walk on. Uh, you know they don't have any chance of playing at our level. Uh, I, I I can in, in in thirty years of college coaching at the Division One level. I've only seen, you know, very, very rare situation where a walk-on plays a meaningful minute of a game. Uh, you know, they're not going to play. You know, and, and, and for the most part, they're not going to be on a scholarship. They have to be better than what we can go and recruit, and that just doesn't happen. Uh, go to the level you recruited at. If you want to play now, if you want to go to, you know, Toledo or Wisconsin or Marquette and just be a part of the program, uh, you know, put that on your resume, have fun, travel, do all the, you know, big time division one things. Great. But if you want to play, you know, if you can, if you, and if Luke's recruiting you at Parkside, I tell her, don't play for Luke at Parkside. Don't go to Toledo to walk out. Don't do it. Thanks, Coach. Coach Regal. Well, that's the best part of the podcast all night. <laughs> I wish more Division One coaches would pass that message along. <laughs> and coach is right. Like, um, no, 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 they tell them I'm honest. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if everybody at your level is though. <laughs> but uh, no, it's you know, in all the years I've been at Parkside, we've only had one guy that walked on that uh, has really turned into a great player, and that was a guy we just graduated a couple of years ago. Uh, Adam Blanc. I mean, he, uh, you know, he came as a walk-on and decided he he just was going to outwork everybody. And God bless him, he stuck with it. And uh, you know, his junior year, his second year, second in the country in three-point percentage, and he'll go down as one of the the all-time great shooters at Parkside. But but I agree. Like, 
most of the guys that um, are going to walk on at a level that it's really hard to, to play because you're going to give scholarship players a, a shot first uh, and probably multiple shots first. So um, if they want to play right away, I, I think, you know, going to the division three level is the right, the right move um, instead of walking on a lot of places. Thanks coach. Rigo. Coach Crash. Well, this, this question just slid downhill. You started at the division one level, division two, <laughs> and we really don't have um, true walk-ons. I think the thing that I'll say for the division three level, kids are recruited differently, whether you're an, an impact guy, um, a kid that could develop, um, maybe you're stuck where it's not a position of need, but I do think some of those kids can develop over the years and get better and have an opportunity to play eventually. And I do think they have an opportunity to help you every day in practice by pushing those top guys. Now, if, if the bottom line is you want to play, that there's a lot of places, a lot of levels that you can go to to play. But I, I think for Division Three, because we don't have the walk-ons and we don't have scholarships, that there are some kids that are recruited differently that are, are stuck behind certain guys at positions, but those kids can help you each day in practice get better. And then eventually when those kids graduate, they can step into a bigger role. Great answer, Coach Crash. Um, the last question here for the second segment, and I know it's gonna be opened up here a little bit. Um, we'll start with Coach Regal, then we'll go Coach Crash, Coach Kowalczyk. Um, what really makes you considered to be a head a good head coach or a great head coach? What would you what would be some of your measurables for that? I think the number one thing that's overlooked now, you know, and in the society we live in is does your team reach its potential? You know, if you're a high school coach, everybody wants you to make it to state. Obviously at our level, everybody wants you to make it to the NCAA tournament. Yep. Uh, those type of things, but you know, at the high school level, like I said, you, you just have to play the hand you're dealt. Um, so at the end of the year, can you look and go, hey, our team met its potential? And, you know, I mean, that's, I think that's the number one thing. Um, and again, it, everybody's going to judge you on wins and losses. Everybody in the stands is an expert. But it's it's just not, you know, we have years where, uh, you know, a couple of years ago, we registered about five guys. So we ended up, you know, meeting our potential and we weren't even 500 uh, and then the next year all those guys that came off red should help us win a division title so uh i think that's the the number one thing um you know obviously at the college level it's a little bit different because you recruit those players so uh winning is much more of an emphasis at our level but i think at the end of the year in the last eight years you know i felt we've met our potential seven times i didn't think we met our potential this past year and uh it's been a tough off season because of that uh, on my psyche. Thanks coach. Coach Crash. Well, uh, I'll start uh, why we've been successful really is with our, our staff. And I know Todd talked about it a little bit earlier and we're in a, a pretty fortunate situation in De Pere and Green Bay that we have five volunteer coaches. Now uh, we have a younger guy on staff, Joel Klein, that gets a little bit of money where he can get by. And we've had a number of young guys in those positions in the past, Keel Gans, um, Kyle Brown, Chris Skinkis. Um, so a number of guys, Ryan Lounsack, and then other older guys who have full-time jobs outside of basketball that are able to 
put the time in and really have a passion for teaching and being around young kids and even going out and recruiting um, really almost like a second job. So I, I think our success is really correlated to our staff um, and then the players in the program. I mean, everything starts with, with the players. So we've been pretty fortunate. We've had a great staff and a lot of consistency the last five years within the staff. Um, and then a lot of great players in the program over the years. Thanks, Coach. Coach Kowalczyk. Yeah, I, I think the, the last thing Gary said to me is the most important uh, is consistency. You know, coaches that are consistent in their program as far as winning uh, are good head coaches. Because it, it, let's face it, it is extremely hard to win. I think it's easy to win every other year, every third year, but the teams that, you know, are, are near the top or at the top every single year, I have a little more respect for. Uh, the second thing, you know, is, is what did the men in your program do with their lives when you're done? Did you impact them in the proper way? You look at, you know, the thing that I'm most proud of, to be honest with you, isn't you know, the wedding, it's, it's Brandon Morris, it's Josh Lawrence, it's Benito Flores, it's Ryan Tillman, Mike Schaffner, John Anderson, uh, you know, you know, Ramon Fletcher, Berkeese Green, the guys that played for me uh, and what they're doing and what kind of men they are, what kind of families and, you know, father, those, those things really, really matter. Uh, you know, and, and that, that stuff doesn't matter to your boosters. It doesn't matter to your athletic directors. Now they, they want you to win consistently and they want you to have good guys, but they don't look at that big picture as far as, you know, the relationships after the game. Uh, you know, they, they're looking at more, you know, winning championships and doing it the right way and having good grades, et cetera. But uh, it's all the external things. And, and, and I think it, that, that, that might be even tenfold for high school coaches uh, to, to really be mentors and develop those young men and being really good college men and then being great fathers and, and, and great husbands later in life. Great answer, coaches. Thank you. Bimo, uh, back to you, my man. Wow. Those are some excellent, excellent tips uh, from these head coaches. Uh, thank you for that. Uh, coaches, you guys had some follow-up questions. Uh, let, let's open it up. Kind of free flowing conversation with these with these head coaches. Anybody want to dive right in, Corey? Go ahead. I'll go ahead. I'm going to go Coach Regal here again. So I got the opportunity to work with Coach Regal for a year when he was an assistant at Parkside, and then obviously I've gotten to work with Coach Dress for a very long time already. Um, but I want to shoot this one at Coach Regal. Um, I remember when he took over the head job and how how cool that was to see that. Um, and at that time, it was termed one of the toughest jobs in Division Two, maybe maybe the toughest job. What has really been your secret to success and longevity at something that would be termed like that? To me, that's been one of the most impressive things. Um, I, I've been fortunate, you know. I think Gary and Coach K both touched on it. I, I mean, been fortunate to have uh, very good assistants. You know, I mean, we've only had one paid assistant my entire time here, but. Uh, I've had great volunteers, student assistants, so, you know, I'd love to take all the credit, but there's been, you know, assistant coaches throughout the years that have done a great job recruiting uh, very good players. Um, I think the biggest thing was just changing the mindset because when we walked into the league, we did have Northern Kentucky and Southern Indiana with Bruce Pearl and, 
uh, you know, SIU Edwardsville with Marty Simmons. And, and a lot of our players looked at us as, as second class. And, you know, coming from Platteville, where he'd won four national titles in 10 years, uh, I never thought like that. So I think that was the biggest thing at the beginning was, listen, when you have Parkside on your jersey, that's just as important as if you were at Duke or North Carolina. If you're coming here, uh, that that's what matters, and that's how your mindset has to be. And then I think Coach Kowalczyk touched on it before. All of our best players loved Parkside. Like, they, they couldn't – they were excited to come to Parkside. And um, the guys that I've had to beg didn't work out real well. So uh, that's something you have to really look at as you're in the recruiting process. Thanks, Coach Regal. Johnny Eck, go ahead. This might be kind of a Roy Firestone question if anybody remembers the show up close on ESPN. Uh, Coach Regal and Coach Kowalczyk, you guys each in your tenures have experienced a year where you kind of inherited a sanctioned year where your teams have not been able to play or were postseason ineligible, and they weren't at your fault by any means. You kind of just inherited it. If each of you guys kind of want to touch on how it affects team morale, recruiting, your own morale, coaching staff, any kind of stuff like that. Uh, I know we've been talking a lot about the successes and everything, but there's always challenges along the way. So if you, each of you guys want to maybe touch a little bit on those uh, sanction seasons you guys each experienced. Well, we, we were, you know, uh, I, I don't know, I don't know about Luke's situation, but at Toledo, uh, we're the most penalized team in college athletics our first three years. Uh, wow. Penalized, I mean, and that's, we, you name the penalty, we had it. Uh, we had in my third year, actually, we were only allowed to have eight scholarship players, but everybody else had 13. Uh, we only were allowed to have 15 hours of practice versus 20 and it took away games. It took away, I mean, it was, you know, and I think it's easy to, to make excuses, but our guys never did. Um, you know, I, I think the biggest thing you got to get across to your team, Hey, we weren't the problem. We're going to be the solution. Uh, you know, we're not going to make excuses. We're not going to place blame. Uh, but the fact of the matter is you go through those penalties, you know, that, that's not fun. Uh, that's, you know, did it cost us, you know, some things after that? There's no question it did because we just didn't have, you know, for example, in year five or six, we had, you know, Nathan Booth, uh, I thought an NBA player, but the fact of the matter was, you know, we only had eight scholarships and he was a freshman that year. I mean, he was the only guy we brought in. Uh, you know, so it has a long-lasting effect. But, you know, being a part of a solution and correcting the problem and having a great APR and doing things the right way is what it's all about. And I think our guys learned a lot from that. Thank you, Coach. I really appreciate you bringing that up. Uh, I mean, you know, for, for our situation, it was just, uh, you'll no one will ever be able to explain to me why our wrestling and the track program at Parkside leads to our conference banning us from the postseason, and the NCA came in and said, "There's no violations in men and men's basketball at all." So uh, I will, I don't forgive easily, and I don't think I'll ever forgive the people that made that decision to, to punish men's basketball. But I will echo what what Coach K said: is um, you can make excuses or learn from it, and, and our players. Um, you know, we redshirted half our roster that year because we couldn't play. And I was never happier for a group of seniors than I was. Uh, we were picked for fifth in our division. And then, you know, 
that group of seniors won the division title as seniors. And I, I mean, you're happy for all your seniors, especially, uh, you know, when you see them graduate and move on. But, but that group stuck with us through the hard times and helped us win. But, but the other thing that, that Todd said is uh, we haven't recovered from it fully yet either. Um, you know, until we're back playing in March in the NCAA tournament, then, then I'll think we're back to where we were. So, uh, it's, it's still tough and it, you know, it's still, you know, leaves a bad taste in your mouth, but, uh, fortunately we have, we have great kids that are ready to move the program forward. But, um, that group of seniors that stuck what with us, uh, will always have a special place in, in my heart. Coaches, I appreciate it. Luke, I know that's not a question you wanted me to ask you or anything like that, but, uh, thank you for your insights, both of you. John, Roy Firestone wasn't uh, hard-hitting, so. Hey, he, he would make people cry. He was good. I got I got one follow-up, because all three of you guys mentioned this, your coaching staffs. So when recruiting your assistant coaches and, and trying to find the right people, what are some things you look for? And then what are some things you develop? I, I, I know, obviously, I've gotten to work with a couple of you guys, um, but what are some of the things that you kind of look for in recruiting, developing, and then what are your views on trying to push them into that next role and what they look for? And oh. anybody can hop in. <laughs> yeah, I, there, there's no bigger thing you do as a head coach and then hire staff. Uh, I think you have to get, you know, to me, the most important thing is the chemistry of the assistant coaches, uh, obviously that with the head coach as well, they all have to get along and be cohesive. Uh, you know, cause you can't have great chemistry with your program unless your assistant coaches get along. And I, I've had some great staffs and Gary was on a really good staff. The staff I have now is the best I've ever had. Uh, it's because they're all low ego, uh, fun guys, you know, with all this COVID thing, I, I you know, there, there's things that we all miss. The biggest thing I miss is being around my assistant coaches. I don't miss my players yet because typically we don't, we're not around them a lot this time of year. Uh, I miss my staff because the laughter, the, you know, busting balls and, and just the, the, the fun <laughs> that we have you know, in the office. That's what I miss more than anything. Uh, but having a staff that gets along and then they have to have specialties. They have to, you know, geographically fit your job as far as recruiting ties. Uh, they, ha they have to, you know, uh, do they balance each other out as far as positions or strengths and weaknesses regarding offense, defense, whatever it may be. Uh, but the staff I have, I've had some really good ones. This is without question the best staff I've ever had. And I'm really proud of them. They're all unbelievable men and great fathers. I'll just talk a little bit our situation it's because because it's unique we don't have a full-time assistant uh joel klein is our young stipend assistant coach so he's in the office every day uh he just finished his first year on staff and i talked about earlier we've been fortunate we've had a lot of young guys in that position for one year two years as many as three years um and really for that person Hopefully they're getting their masters and then it's my job to help them advance, find something full time or the next position so they can move, move on professionally. 
Um, and then the other guys on staff, well, Corey, you're on staff, you, you're the director of academic support services on campus. Um, people think we have all these full-time assistant coaches, but you, you get, uh, $0, um, drawn from your men's basketball salary. So we're pretty fortunate to have you, uh, Justin Zwiebelhofer, who was actually a manager, um, for Todd at Green Bay and was a head high school coach at Green Bay West. Um, and an assistant at, at Schwabenon. His full-time job is Humana, so he'll come over in the evenings, help out with practice. Brian Rory works at Schneider International, and he'll come over in the evenings for practice. Steve Kessley had been a teacher up until last year at West Pier, and now he's retired. He has a little more time to give on the basketball end. Um, and then, um, who am I missing, Corey? Coach Rory. Coach Rory. Yeah, Brian's at Schneider International. So, but five five assistant coaches, and they all have their different specialties and um, all different jobs in the in the business world. So we're pretty fortunate to have the staff that we do, and then just to have that consistency. We've been together, uh, Joel, one year, but everyone else besides Joel has been on staff for five years together. So. And I think it's to have it's important to have people that you know and trust on staff, but also guys that can tell you things that you you may not want to hear, but you really need to hear. And I think um, at the beginning, when these guys got on staff and started to learn and pick up on things, they would agree very easily with things I would say or suggest. But as time has gone on, um, they've gotten more confidence in themselves. And their voice is just to tell me what they're really thinking. And it's okay to disagree. That's the one thing. Uh, I'm not afraid to hear something that's against what I believe. Um, I might not use it, but I'm really open to suggestions and want to want to hear from from the assistant coaches. Hey, that that that's interesting to know that that I forgot that Bull was your uh, your one of your assistant coaches. So yeah. back when I was playing at GB, he was our manager. Yeah, and I didn't like. I I love the new pair of shoes, but I wanted them to be broken into or worn. So a lot of times I got a lot of new pair of shoes, and Bull would wear them throughout the day, so to break them in for me. <laughs> so you you own a new pair of shoes, really? <laughs> yeah. Wow. Brandon, Brandon, I think you'll agree. He's one of the best human beings ever been around. Yeah, he yeah. is. He is. That says a lot about him as the manager. Sure, BMO, I'll walk around in your shoes and break them in uh, because you don't like to wear the new shoes. Uh, excellent guy. Man, excellent. Uh, Jason, Greg, uh, said you guys had one? Said. Coach Regal didn't answer that question yet. Oh, okay. Sorry. Sorry. Uh, you know, I, I think it's, you know, Gary had mentioned it. It's so important to have the the volunteers and the the guys that just love basketball to be around. You know, Johnny, obviously your brother was with us for a few years. Um, one of the things I'm most proud of at Parkside is, uh, first of all, in 17 years, I've only had three top assistants. And, you know, there's been continuity and guys that have stuck with us for long periods of time, current associate head coach Kevin Bradley does a great job for us. But also, we've, I've had four either volunteers or part-time, whatever you want to call them, assistants, student assistants that ended up making it to the Division One level. A couple of guys are still there. Uh, 
guys have gone on and been high school head coaches that moved from our program, uh, you know, and I hope the experience in Parkside helped them, but uh, having, helping young coaches get the opportunities that they want is as important as anything I do. So I, I love that part of it is, uh, you know, Gary and I have traded assistants or volunteers or student assistants numerous times, and it's, uh, it's all about their work ethic. Do, do they love doing it because they're not going to make any money? Um, and then they have a chance to, to move up. But uh, that's just a big part of, I think, coaching at any level is how much do you love it? And Because um, you're not going to make money for quite a while in this profession, that's for sure. Thanks, guys. Those great answers. Um, you know, a lot of us are high school coaches, and we try to tell our kids who are being recruited, Division One, Two, or Three, what they might be looking for when college coaches come. And Coach K, you mentioned on uh, how important the summer period is and where you and your assistants can go see 5, 10, 15 kids in one location. Can you talk a little bit about, and, and I'd be interested to hear from all three of you because we have kids uh, recruited at all three levels. Obviously, the kid is talented or you wouldn't be watching them. But as, are there one or two things you're looking for in terms of whether it's body language, attitude, unselfishness, defense, where you say, oh, I don't want that kid. Or is there like an X factor where if you see something, you're like, we got to get, we got to do everything we can to get him. And one example is we had a kid um, who was getting recruited by some pretty high major division ones. And one of the things I heard from one of the assistants was I love him, but our head coach thinks he plays the game like he's too cool, which I didn't agree with, but I get it. Um, so I'm just curious if you can touch on that. Well, I think the, the intangibles are huge. Uh, you know, the character, uh, you know, what kind of teammate they are, how they treat their, their the officials during a, you know, games, et cetera. That stuff's important. Uh, you know, and, and that very interesting Jason, regarding, you know, you know, that head coach probably saw him in a bad moment in an AU term where he didn't play, play hard or, or, or whatever it may be. Uh, and, and, just tell them this, they're always being evaluated. When they come out of the game, when they're sitting on the bench, uh, when they're walking back to the vans, they're being evaluated. How they talk to their mothers, uh, that stuff all counts, you know? And, and uh, you know, I, I think, you know, for us, we obviously want high character guys where a lot of division one coaches will take, take a pass on that. We try not to. Doesn't mean we haven't made some mistakes we have. You know, but I, I, I really believe, you know, the other stuff, it's about skills. Much more than athletic ability. Guys that can shoot, pass, catch, you know, those types of things are huge uh, in the success of, of a major program in particular. Uh, you know, we need guys that can stretch a defense. And, you know, in the perfect world, I want five guys that can really shoot. You know, this past year we didn't. But, uh, you know, having guys that can shoot is really important. I, you know, I'd agree with it as, as far as the skill set, it's, it's so important now. I mean, the game is so, you know, three point dominated. I don't know if that's a good thing, but it is. Um, but the other part of it nowadays is the social media stuff. I mean, if, if they're, you know, if they're throwing tweets or stuff on their Instagram, that's suspect, I, I wouldn't say we, 
like at our level, we don't just cross a kid off the list. They, they might have just done something stupid. I mean, I know I did when I was 16 or 17, but it also lets you into their their character a little bit if it's if it's over the top or uh, something that that you just wouldn't want in your program. So um, I don't ever just throw a guy away because of something he did unless it's ridiculous. But um, if there's a pattern there and they're tweeting things or uh, you know even some of the things that one thing I'd say is stuff they like. You know they they might like a tweet or something that is pretty suspect that goes up on your radar as well. So I think that's a something that's changed in the last five years uh, is you have to look at it uh, from the recruiting part. I agree uh, exactly with Todd and Luke. I don't know if I have a whole lot to add, except what, when we're watching kids, uh, Jason, if, if they have the ability to also make their teammates better, so, you know, are they creating an easy shot for their teammates? Um, can they get them open by penetrating or creating a shot for their teammates? And even defensively, can they get in the gap and help stop the basketball? Will they rotate over and take a charge? So I agree with what Todd said and Luke said. And then I would also add, you know, kids that really understand the, the team game and what's important to winning. So those kids that have that ability to make their teammates better, um, in, in a number of different ways is, is really attractive to me as a coach. It's not just the guy that goes out there that can create his own shot or he only sees the game as how it pertains or how it affects him. Um, I like the kids that can see the whole team concept and make their teammates better. Any other coaches got some follow-ups? GL or Seth? I got one. Coach K, you touched bases on the COVID-19 situation. Um, how are you preparing yourself, your staff? I mean, this goes for all three of you guys. Um, how are you guys preparing your staff um, as well as yourselves um, with uh, the contact date COVID-19 situation uh, for the upcoming season? Well, obviously, unbelievably tough times for everybody, for our country, for you know, all, all of the things, even besides the COVID-19, but, uh, you know, for us, we, we have not been allowed in our building. Uh, now, the last three, four weeks, I've been sneaking in there uh, and, and working in the office. I'm not, I'm not good at working from home. Uh, that's why I've been in there with my assistant coaches have not been for the most part. Uh, you know, but I, nothing's really changed but besides the recruiting. We haven't been on the road recruiting. You know, we didn't have spring individuals, uh, but I think this time has been great for our families to be together. I think it's great for coaching development to watch podcasts, to watch, you know, some, some coaching videos to, to learn and to grow. Uh, I encourage my staff to you know, really, really find some program that they want to study. Uh, you know, so I, I, I Selfishly, this 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 spring and early summer, I think have been refreshing for me. I understand now kind of what it is to be a college professor to kind of have a sabbatical, uh, which you know to take a step back and, and, and do some research. That's what I've done, and I've tried to grow and get better because of it. You know, I, 
you know, we're kind of in the same boat. Uh, you know, I remember we were just getting ready to start our postseason workouts when this all shut down. Um, the hardest thing has been just, uh, you know, trying to stay in touch with the players, you know, that for two months was the academic side of things. Uh, making sure, I mean, we had some young guys that really struggled because, uh, you know, usually older guys are ready for the online classes. If freshmen jumping in all five online classes was, was a challenge. So uh, to get them to the finish line there was important. Um, but it's funny because, you know, we can't have contact with our players in the summer, uh, but you're always on them about, are you getting in the gym? Are you lifting? Well, right now I've got probably six or seven guys, maybe even more that, can't even get into a gym. I mean, there are no gyms open. So uh, to hold them accountable is a little bit different. So that's been, uh, you really, you know, you hope they can get in a driveway or, you know, they have weights in their basement. But um, the, the accountability that we normally have in the summer just isn't there right now because there's, there's just guys that have no access to anything right now. And you just have to hope they're motivated to keep running or get up some hills or do some push-ups. <laughs> Yeah, and for Division Three, we're not allowed to have any contact on the court working our guys out in the spring or the summer. So a lot of the development that they're doing would be on their own anyway. So we lost um, the ability to get them in our gym on their own anyway once they moved home. And then uh, the structure in the weight room, that was the one thing, uh, although it's considered voluntary, we would have pretty good attendance um, in the weight room. And then they lost that as well. Mm. So all our kids have been at home for the spring and now for the summer. It, it's starting to open up a little bit where some of them are starting to get into some gyms. Um, but a lot of the work that they're going to do is, is really on their own. And so they better have a passion for the game, continue to work hard at it. Um, and then the only good thing is everyone's in the same boat. Um, no, nobody else is really doing anything different than what we are. And then from a recruiting point, um, there just hasn't been any events to go to. Um, Division three, we're not on a recruiting calendar. So when there are some of these AU events in July, um, we'll be able to get out and go to those. As long as the, the people hosting the event allow coaches to go there. Um, I can go there as a parent. Um, my son will be a senior next year at Notre Dame. So I'm planning on going those anyway. Thank you. Anybody else? Last one, John. This will be a quick one uh, for all three coaches. Uh, the school or opponent that you look forward to playing against most because it was a great game, good rivalry, always excited to play against. Look forward to, you know, camaraderie with the opposing coaches, anything like that. Well, Toledo, uh, I think he's always pulling cream, uh, you know, but we've had some great rivalries with Buffalo, with Western Michigan, uh, uh, you know, this year we play at Michigan State, uh, you know, but I think when you have a rivalry, you know, we're only, we're, you know, Bowling Green's only, you know, 15 miles south of us, so it's a national rivalry. Uh, those, those games, you know, are, are fun to play against. Uh, Coach K, I want to add to that. While I was playing, uh, UWM was our rivals, and it was a big rivalry. How, how, like on a scale of one to ten, 
how heated was that rivalry between UW and Green Bay and UW uh, Milwaukee? Oh, that was a ten. We didn't like each other. Too much. Remember that? <laughs> and and and, and I, I'll I'll throw. I mean, I, people know this. I never really said it publicly. But I didn't like Bruce Pearl. I didn't. I didn't like how. I didn't like what he stood for. What he was about. Uh, uh, you know, and and you know, we we ran our programs completely differently. You know, I I respect for him as a coach, but there's a lot of things I disagreed with, and uh, you know, I'll, I'll leave it at that. But I would say it was a ten. Yeah. Okay. I'm not, you know what, you, that's what, BMO, I'm not, I, I don't like, I, I'm not going to hide from things like that. <laughs> that's why I asked, because I know you won't. <laughs> you know, this, this is something that I've uh, tried to explain to people that it's, with us changing leagues two years ago, we lost rivalries that, you know, I mean, our guys hated Lewis. We hated Bellingham. You know, and we played those teams, and they were top 20 teams every year, and we'd battle, and they'd always be close games. And, uh, you know, it was like a Green Bay in Milwaukee. I mean, us and Lewis are an hour and a half away, and we recruited a lot of the same players. So that I'm really struggling with is since we moved to a new league, we don't have a, a real rival. I mean, I love Kevin Luke at Michigan Tech. I have all the respect in the world uh, for him, but, like, to develop teams that we don't like, I, I have to do a better job of, quite honestly, because, you know, personally, maybe I don't like some of them, but what we built for all those years in the GLBC were teams that we just couldn't stand, um, and we don't have that right now, and uh, that's something I'm, I'm going to start talking about. Like I talked about rivalries early on. We need to grow some of those in, in our new league, um, and it's something that I'm going to, emphasize more than I ever had because I didn't have to get our guys pumped up for the Lewises and the Indianapolises and the Drury's and Bellarmines and the old league. Uh, but we need to start having teams we hate. I mean, that, that's something that I love. I, the, the rivalry is something that you get a little, uh, maybe a little more excited for, a little bit uh, edgier for. Yeah. And your uh, brother-in-law Todd's got to do some more of his homework on the GLIAC then. He's running his little light. He was like the ringleader whenever Bellarmine was in town, Kentucky Wesleyan and Lewis. It was fun hearing him. Coach Grush. Yeah, when I first got to St. Norbert, um, Lawrence was the gold standard in, in the conference. John Tharp was there, um, who's at Hillsdale now, and pretty much had their way within the conference. So um, everything that we tried to do was prepare to beat the best. And, and at the time, um, they had a tremendous run there, and even when Joel DePoctor took over for them, um, they had some success in the following years. And then once we turned our program around and got going a little bit, then we, we got everyone's best shot. We had a 72 conference game winning streak. We've won the league nine out of the last 11 years, but the team that's had the most success against us and has beaten us um, two out of three times last year is Ripon College and Ryan Kane. So I would say that's our biggest rival within the conference and then some of our best games are even in the non-conference when we play in the state schools so we beat Oshkosh last year in a tremendous game in overtime um, Benedictine had been uh, in the national championship game a couple of years ago so we played them in the non-conference so we try to test ourselves as much as possible in the non-conference thank you coach this is awesome insight 
<coughs> excellent, excellent, excellent. So we got just a couple more minutes, and we want to close out this second segment before we have your your last and closing words and final words of this of the podcast. What were your thoughts, uh, most impressive and least impressive, when it comes to the last dance? I'm sure all of you guys tuned in at some point to the last dance. So your most impressive and least impressive thoughts when it comes to the last dance. Luke, we're going to start with you, TK, and then uh, Gresh will have you close it out. Well, I know this will be hard to believe after my last answer, but the thing I loved about the last dance was when players used to hate the other teams. Uh, that used to be a thing. Now everybody changes teams so much that uh, <laughs> you know, the Lakers hated the Celtics, the Celtics hated the Pistons, the Pistons hated the Bulls. You know, and it was kind of a pecking order. And once you climbed over that team, so I miss those days of Kevin McHale taking out Kurt Rambis and uh, that type of stuff. It was, that's, you know, that's the basketball that I grew up watching. So that was my favorite thing about it was just seeing the rivalries and, and how they, they truly disliked each other. Um, the, 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 I don't want to say it's my least favorite thing, but um, what's happened now on, you know, social media is everybody's like, well, you got to have leaders like Michael Jordan. Well, you better be a really, really good player if you're going to treat your teammates like that. <laughs> but, I mean, when we grew up, the older guy did yell at you. Like, if you were a freshman on the court and you took a bad shot, the senior was yelling at you. But you better be a high-level player if you're going to treat your teammates like that. Like, that's not everybody's style of leadership, and especially with kids this day and age who – if their teammate yells at you, boy, or yells at them, they, they really take it to heart. So uh, I don't I I don't want to say it's my least favorite, but that's the thing that stood out is you better be a special person to to be able to lead that way, and you better be able to back it up. <laughs> Excellent. You know, my my favorite thing was when what came out was just the competitiveness how hard he played and, and the, the standards that he had. Uh, and obviously, and, you know, I think we'd all agree that, you know, he's the greatest player of all time. Uh, the, the thing I hate the, the, the least is, I think and sometimes I get myself in trouble saying this with, with the old guard. Players today, in teams today, in coaches today, in the game itself today, is much better than it was back then. Uh, players are the bodies are better. The training is better. Uh, the coaching is better because the technology. We have more assistant coaches. Uh, you know, and, and I think you know, I think the old guard thinks well, it was way better back then. No, it wasn't. The game today is better than it ever has been. Coach G. I was a big I was a big Scotty Pippen fan, so. To me, I don't know if it was the most impressive, but it, it was the most interesting hearing all the details um, with his contract, how he was treated, all the adversity he went through, some of the injuries he played through, um, the fact that he was one of the best players when Jordan took some time away that, that year, the following year. Um, I really enjoyed listening to all the details as well as the Rodman stuff. I mean, come on, that was pretty, pretty entertaining. <laughs> but uh, really the details with Scottie Pippen and all the things behind the scenes, that, that was the most interesting to me. 
the least interesting or maybe the most disappointing was just the way the dynasty ended. Um, you know, a team that's coming off uh, their second three-peat, who would not want to give them an opportunity to defend their title? So just the way the dynasty ended um, was, was really disappointing. Excellent. That was the last dance. Oh, man. Uh, shout out to Rob Domowski, who's uh, uh, up in Green Bay, ESPN, Green Bay Gazette, checking in to our Facebook Live. I'm sure he's covered uh, TK, Todd Kowalczyk, as well as Coach Gary Gresh. So shout out to Rob Domowski for checking in on the Facebook Live. Um, we're going to Coach Coach Leach, you got one thing? Yeah, I just wanted to follow up with Coach Gresh. Um, you know, we were talking about leadership in Michael Jordan, and you were my coach for tonight's podcast, and so I did a little research. And the thing that I am completely amazed with, and uh, I'd love to hear some thoughts from you, but I think you scored a total of 450 points in your career, but you were the unquestioned leader of that team. And, um, you know, I'm coaching high school kids. It's different, but I've <laughs> never seen, I've never seen somebody that, you know, averaged four five, six, seven points be that leader. What was, how were you able to do that? And what's special about you that you were able to get that done and lead that group? Yeah. Um, boy, that's a great question on a lot of different levels. Um, I, I think the most important lesson that I learned when I got to Green Bay was humility. And that's one of Dick Bennett and Tony Bennett's five pillars. And, and coming out of high school, you're going there, okay, I'm going to go to Green Bay and, and I'm going to start as a freshman. And you get there and you realize, boy, th these guys are, are really good and I'm not as good as I thought I was. So I, I might not start, but maybe I'll come off the bench and help the team. Well, you get through the preseason. No, you're not. You're not even in the rotation. In fact, you're going to redshirt and sit out a whole year because you're not good enough right now. So that, that whole first year was a really a great lesson in humility. And I was such a better player as a fifth year senior than I would have been if I did not redshirt. So um, at, at the time, Tony Bennett was a senior my redshirt year. Ben Johnson was kind of the defensive stopper guy at the small forward position. And from a very early time, my role was defined to be like Ben Johnson. And that was probably the best thing that ever happened to me because I very quickly found a role that I could be successful in, help the team win, and find a way to get on the floor. So um, I learned a lot from that first year, just just on the sideline, going through the practices, um, chasing Tony around a million screens within the motion offense was hard. Um, but watching during the games, Tony and Ben Johnson was such a great lesson for me. Um, and it really made me a better player and a better leader going forward. And then we were in the unique opportunity that a number of kids, a couple of kids transferred out and a number of kids graduated. I was fortunate to get on the floor right away as a freshman and get that experience. Um, so you combine all those things and the fact that Dick Bennett was the coach at the time um, was just a great life lesson for me. So hopefully I answered your question. Yes, thank you. Excellent. So we're closing out this last, uh, the second segment before we get into the final words 
to hear from our star starters. Uh, shout out to Coach Tony Moore, who's checking in on our on our live feed. Uh, the head coach of a semi-pro team here in Kenosha with the Kenosha Ballers. So shout out to Tony Moore, uh, one of the greats. He will go down as probably one of the greatest players and coaches to coach in Wisconsin. Uh, one last trivia question to close out this second segment. Johnny, what you got? All right, this one has to do with Coach Regal. During his tenure at Parkside, Coach Regal has led teams to two victories over D1 programs. Who were they? I got that one. Wait, 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 wait. You got that one? I got that one. One of them bet not be UW-Green Bay. I, but I, I bet you I could tell you who it is just in case Joe Tucker or 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 one of those guys are listening to it. <laughs> Boo Williams. Joe Tucker played at both of these colleges. Bradley and University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee. I knew it was UWM. Way to go, Coach Regal, representing UW Parkside. Hey, that, hey, the other one was the Horizon League, Corey. I was going to say, I, I had two. You guys had three. UIC no, was the other one. It was UIC and uh, UWM. And that's why Coach K would never play us at Green Bay. Oh! He's <laughs> <laughs> like, well, I play with you guys. Uh, <laughs> I got to mention, Coach Regal, I got to Harder than that. <laughs> Coach Regal, I got to mention one local player, Gareth Malkowski, is from Oak Creek, correct? Correct. He, he hit about, what, seven threes against Milwaukee or something like that? No, I think he still has the UIC Pavilion record for oh. threes in a game. That's wow. what he's down there. Excellent. All right. You can be Mo. We're closing out on this second segment, head coaching series. Let's go. This is the best damn podcast in the land. I'm your host, Brandon Morris. We're heading into our final segment of the head coaching episode. Uh, we have a Division One, Division Two, and Division Three head coach. They're going to give their closing words on tonight's episode. Uh, and we're going to start off with uh, Coach Gary Gresh, who played at UW-Green Bay. He locked up. The man, Jason Kidd, in the NCAA tournament shut him down. Uh, and then uh, we're going to bring in our Kenosha Zone, uh, Luke Regal, representing UW Parkside for the last 17 years. And then my college uh, basketball head coach, Todd Kowalczyk, will close us out. And then uh, I guess we can hear from the bench players uh, to get their garbage minutes in. Uh, to, to close us out. Uh, Coach Gresh, final words. No, thanks for having me on. It, it was a great time. Um, just to be able to share my experiences over the years. And, and I look back um, what we've been able to do at St. Norbert. We've been pretty fortunate with so many great assistant coaches, so many current players, so many former players. And then for me, just to be doing something I love to do at a place I love to do it, um, I'm truly blessed and thankful to, to be able to do something in the world of college basketball. Hey, uh, Coach Gresh, if you could, can you give just some tips that you would give to some young high school players that are looking to play at the next level? One tip that you would give them. Study up and get some grades. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Short and sweet. Uh, Coach Regal. Uh, I just appreciate the, the time to, to listen to 
you know, Coach Walchek and Coach Gresh, like, this has been one of the more enjoyable nights I've had during this whole COVID situation. Uh, just an opportunity to listen and listen to different approaches, and I appreciate all of you guys uh, on the questions. It's uh, You miss the camaraderie of sitting in the bleachers and talking to different coaches while you're watching high school and AAU, and that's a big part of it. So uh, I, I just thank you guys for, for letting me listen and you know talk a little bit about Parkside basketball and uh, it's been a great night. I really enjoyed it. And, uh, just appreciate all you guys. In, any tips you give to the young up-and-coming high school players that are looking to play at the next level? Uh, obviously, the grades is the first part. I'd say don't get caught up in rankings or lists or all that. Just, just focus on getting better. You don't know when you're going to grow a couple inches or put on a few pounds. Like, Don't worry where you're ranked when you're a 15, 16, 17-year-old, we'll find you. If you can play, D1s, D2s, and D3s will find you. Excellent. Coach K, my head coach, uh, when I played at UW-Green uh, Bay. Close us out. I was, I was proud to coach you, Brandon. Uh, a great player, but a better person. Yeah, I appreciate, like, like Lucas said and Gary said, I appreciate the time tonight. Uh, I've enjoyed this. You know, I, I think, you know, more than anything, you know, with our profession, it's about doing the right things and, and, and making sure that we as coaches are staying for the right things. And that's, you know, making sure our players get better, uh, our, our productive citizens, whatever it may be. Uh, and, and answer your question, you're going to ask about the players. Make shots. Be a shot maker. Be, be a guy that can make shots. If you can become a really good shooter, you can play at the Division Three, Division Two, or Division One level. And then, obviously, what separates you from those levels is is size and athleticism. Uh, but guys that can shoot, it's huge. You know, those, those guys mentioned grades. You know, and I agree with that. Uh, but you know. If, if you can make shots and be a really good shooter, so spend time in the driveway right now. Spend time with, with your high school coach and make sure you're fundamentally shooting it the right way. And if you can shoot it, you have a place in college basketball. Excellent. Uh, let's hear from our bench players now that it's time for the garbage minutes. Uh, coach Atkins, we'll start with you. Uh, coach Atanasoff, Coach Young. Uh, coach Corey, and then we'll close it out with Coach Coach Leach. And just in case, if you guys didn't notice, we usually go from youngest to eldest. All right, Johnny Ack. Coach Kowalczyk, I wish I would have met you like in middle school because I can shoot, but it doesn't matter anymore. But, uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, Coach Regal touched on my weekly point about being fortunate enough to listen to everybody's knowledge and experiences and things like that. Um, one thing I've been meaning to bring up the last few weeks, which I kind of skipped my mind, if I would give a message to kids, it's um, recognize early and appreciate your connections. I know that when you're young and you're trying to advance in your game and everything, you're focused on how you're going to do it. But more importantly in life, you get to where you are because a lot, and a lot of times because of the connections, because of the people you meet, the relationship you have with them early on can lead to really good things. I mean, uh, we talk about it off air all the time, uh, how this podcast gets better and better every week. 
And, you know, never did I think that I would be able to talk to former D1 players, D1 coaches, successful coaches, successful former female players and coaches that we've had on here. And this whole experience has been great. And a lot of the positive experiences in my life has been in part because of people that I've made connections with when I was young. You know, I'll start basically when Nick Lucasen got the job in Greg Leach's program as a JV head coach when I was in college, and he said, hey, you're a buddy of mine. You want to come coach with me? Help me out. So in my coaching career, that was the start right there, just from a somebody that was a good friend of mine. So like I said earlier, recognize early and appreciate those connections that you make throughout your journey. John, just to be clear, when you say Division One players, you're speaking of me and Coach Gresh, correct? Yeah, and, 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 you know, and Norgard and everybody, and, you know, Sharif and everybody else, but especially you two. You keep having me on every week, so I might as well talk you up a little bit. All right. Take that question for the three of us. Uh, I can tell you this, that's a big part, John, of our recruiting process. You know, we've been top two in attendance at Toledo for 30 straight years. We have an unbelievable facility. You know, our, our guys, we, we have 12 luxury boxes, we have loges, uh, and a lot of corporate money there. Every time our guys play, it's about a job interview for them. Uh, if they act in the proper way, if they treat their teammates the proper way, the officials, whatever it may be, uh, and I talk to our players about that, but you're exactly right. People are going to hire people they know that they 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 think highly of, uh, you know. And and let's let's be honest. I mean, you know, building that network as a player or as a coach is extremely important. We all get jobs because of the people we know and how we treat them and how we treat. Them. Uh, and that's a big thing with the program and. and we preach it, teach it, coach it, and emphasize it every day. Truth. Uh, Jason, tennis off. Yeah, thanks for having me on again, Brandon. Um, just a treat to get to listen to these three uh, college coaches talk and kind of reaffirm what we tell our young men. Um, appreciate how much you guys help out high school coaches. Luke has been kind enough. I think it's been six consecutive years now where I attend a couple practices in October. Um, just waiting on the invite from Corey and Gary to go up to Green Bay. <laughs> but uh, appreciate all you guys do, and uh, it was a treat to get to listen to you guys. Hold on, J Jason. So does Coach Rigo, like, give you the invite to come over there? Him and his – well, him or his assistant typically send a note. Or or I think this year I, I reached out early this year to set up a date. But, uh, oh, Coach, Coach Regal, do I need to give you my email address? Yes, I just emails. I'm okay. telling you, I went to my alma mater and watched for a couple of years, and uh, let's just say I go to Parkside every year now. I don't know what time <laughs> it, you guys should be on the, uh, on the email list. <laughs> St. Joe's staff will be coming to Toledo. Let's 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 get ready. COVID or not. We'll have our masks. Um uh, Coach Coach Young. Hey, I just want to say thanks. Um I got my little one here listening to your advice. Um again, thank really uh, appreciate you guys joining our podcast. We've been doing this for a while now, during the COVID-19. Um, 
Coach K, you touched on everything that I think I brought to um, my level um, with Coach um, <clears throat> Coach Leach as far as um, being a head coach, JV person. Um, I mean, it's all about life lessons. Um, you know, that experience, going out and getting a job, um, that's an interview. Um, I brought all that aspect to the table. I'm looking forward to getting into the and, uh, um, coming up. You <clears throat> really... Um, you know, want to take that next level, that next step as far as what uh, Luke was able to do with Coach Mitt um, and their program at Wilmot with his dad and to the next level. Um, I mean, everything that you guys gave, I mean, that's great advice. I appreciate it. Thanks for coming on, guys. Excellent. Uh, Coach Shashelshi. So we might have to debate youngest to oldest because I don't think I'm the second oldest, but we won't go there. I know you're a little bit older than me, Brandon. But anyway, <laughs> um, so, you know, for me, I, I'm really appreciative of all of you guys coming on. Um, Coach Regal, Coach Gresh, obviously I am I get to work with Coach G every day, and, and uh, I'm, I'm pretty lucky for that. And, and not only that, as, as good friends, and, and Coach Regal as well as people that have been mentors for me and, and have been there for me throughout my entire coaching career. Um, I just, I'm really appreciative of you guys. I've been enjoying so much listening and coach Wolchik, I've gotten to see at clinics and, and seeing that coach Kelso was one of your assistants was one of my best friends. So seeing that through that too, um, just has been, it's just enjoyable. And, you know, seeing, seeing these three head coaches reaffirms why we all coach and, really they have the core things that we all think of as coaches too, making in really great young men and women. And that's what our, what our job is as coaches. We want to make great young men and women for the next stage. And yes, we all have different pressures on us to win or lose and those type of things, but it's, it's, it's really about our, our players, the people around us and those things. And, and for me, that's been really enjoyable. So and my advice to any young player, listen to this podcast, listen to these three men, because, I don't know. I, one thing Coach Gresh has instilled in me and Coach Regal, uh, quality knows no level um, for basketball. And when you talk about great head coaches, and I'm personally biased, but these are three of the best that you could get in the country, regardless of conference, division, level. Um, I, I don't know. You, you can line them up anywhere. You want to talk about great coaches, it's these three. Um. Brandon, I just I, I think you're doing a, a hell of a service to the kids in the area, the boys and the girls that are listening to the podcast over the last um, few weeks. And the information that's coming out has been awesome. Uh, and, and, and I thank you for doing this. And finally, to Coach Gresh, Coach Regal, and Coach K, uh, I love your honesty. And the, the information that we've gotten from you, as Coach Corey said, reaffirms a lot of what we're, what we're doing. Um, and it means a lot for me and my heartfelt thanks for coming on because um, I'm pretty hard on myself and whether I'm doing the right things and, and teaching the right things and getting through to the kids. But it means a lot to sit here to listen to coaches of your caliber as, as Corey said, um, come back and, and, and say and reaffirm all the things that we've been doing. So thank you so much.
Excellent. Thank you, uh, all of you guys, for those uh, those those final words. Uh, again, thank you to our starters, uh, Coach Luke Regal, head coach, UW Parkside, uh, Coach Kowalczyk, University of Toledo, and uh, Coach Gary Gresh at St. Norbert. Make sure you don't add an S on that St. Norbert. Uh, let's get that correct. Uh, thank you guys for joining our podcast tonight. We really appreciate you guys. Final words that I have uh, for any of the young players. Find a way to get it done. Simple as that. Much love. We signing off. You can be Mo.